Welcome to Voices on Art, the Van Horn Gallery podcast hosted by Daniela Steinfeld. Episode 7, a conversation with Nicole Berry, Executive Director of the Armory Show, New York City's premier art fair. Hello, Nicole. Very nice to have you. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm, I'm very happy to be here. This is such a nice way to come together to continue the dialogue. So um, I want to refer back to an interview of yours very recently, actually, in February in the art newspaper. And you said, the world is changing rapidly. You have to be able to adapt. And we're in the process of doing that. And you said also you would embrace changes. But um, the world changed so rapidly in such a hardcore way. So how are your reaction on this as someone working and living in the art world and having to shape the future of an art fair? It's a great question. I don't think I anticipated that it was going to change in this way. <laughs> I was referring to the changes that have occurred um, at a more rapid rate than what um, I was used to being in the art world for as many years as, as you and I have both been involved in the art world. Things have, have changed at a more rapid pace, but um, yeah, I don't think any of us could anticipate this global uh, shutdown and the ramifications of it. And so for me, it's been, it's been nice to take a pause and to have time to think about how we can change the fact that we, I, I don't want to say just happened because that was back in at, at the beginning of March, but yeah. relatively the fact that we were able to happen um, and so many other events have had to cancel or postpone, we, that, ha that affords us the opportunity to step back and really uh, think about our clients, the galleries, the collectors that, that have attended the event in, in the past, um, and think about how we can best serve the art community um, moving forward and, and what that looks like as an art fair. And I don't think we have the answer yet. I don't think any of the art fairs do. A lot of the art fairs have shifted to this online viewing platform. Um, we, we anticipate by September of 2021, having made the shift to Javits and having shifted our dates from March to, to September, it's hopefully going to serve us well. Um, and that it, it affords us that time to, to have planned for a physical fair, but also this digital shift that has happened is not going to go away. And, and how can we figure out a way that's additive um, to the fair for people who still don't feel comfortable to travel or whatever the case may be? No, absolutely. I mean, it's sort of like, I think you are also in a special situation because you are in New York City, which uses to be one of the most um, vibrant cities in the world. You did the last armory really happened and it happened successfully. And right after that came the shutdown, then came the murder of George Floyd, then came the protests, which are still happening amidst actually the coronavirus. So how, how can you even as a human being and as an art fair director deal with all those consequences? It's a lot, it's a lot to process. Um, I think that, I'll speak first as a human being. <laughs> um, I think we have a lot of work to do as a, as a culture, not just America, but I think the pandemic 
and, and the shutdown, everyone being confined and taking that pause has been a good thing. I'm trying to see the glass is half full in this situation um, in that it'll, you know, we were on this sort of busyness, hamster wheel, calendar, got to go to this, must go to this biennial, have to be at this opening, have to go to this fair. And that was not sustainable. Yeah. So to have this time to reflect and, I, you know, people are all in very different situations. So some people are financially devastated. Some people have lost their jobs. Some people have to go to work, you know, despite the, the coronavirus and be on the front lines. Uh, and, and some people are, were sick. Some people lost their lives. A lot of people lost their lives. So I think people are reckoning with this situation before the protests um, and then I'll get to that as well, but, but they're reckoning with it in different ways. So if someone who was sick might be very grateful that they're healthy and that's the yeah. only thing that matters. Someone that is having to struggle to put food on the table, that's their main focus. Um, and there are, you know, relatively few who are lucky enough to be working in their homes or working at, you know, a place that they've been able to get out of the city. I've been in New York. Uh, in Manhattan, and and it's it's been really interesting to be. I, I've had a lot of conversations, which is another positive thing about it, is that you've we've all been able to connect as you and I are right now in a way that we might not have. It's not that we didn't have the time; it's that we didn't necessarily make the time for each other in this in these in these uh, sort of deeper conversations, talking about things. And so I professionally have valued that time, have valued those conversations, and then not just about the pandemic and how to move forward from that and what will the art world look like, but now this very important shift in, uh, in how systemic racism impacts not just the art world, but our entire country, the entire world. Um, how can we rectify that? Uh, and, and the fact that it, things, riots have happened in the past and then, you know, the, the, all the talk about making changes sort of dissipates. And I'm hopeful that in this case, that's not going to happen. That then, and I think that the numbers of people out there, despite the pandemic, um, really speak to that, that people, it's time. It's, it's definitely time. So though it's tragic that it took continue. And these are just more black lives lost, the, the, the black lives that have been lost that weren't captured on video for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. Um, so I think people are tired of it. They're fed up that they're not going to, um, they're not okay with the, with the status quo. And so how can we make changes that make it a more equitable society? Um, and that involves looking at ourselves personally, but also looking at our organizations and and trying to make changes to make it to make it more um, equitable. So that's certainly what we're doing, um, and and it's it's a long process. This isn't something you know. Four hundred plus years of of oppression and and injustice doesn't change overnight. So it, it's a long road. But those conversations that I've been having with people about about how the art world moves forward those now include the discussions about, about racial inequality as well. 
Absolutely. I mean, we as women, we know how long it takes to right. reach a Still point <laughs> of, of something like equality, which, which, yeah, we more and more notice that it's not like that. So, and this is true for the black community and I guess, especially for the black women uh, right. as well, that it's not going to be an easy road, but it hasn't been before. So, uh, and we all in, all over the world, we deal in different ways, more or less, but with with those same things. And I really, I, I'm, I would be so curious to see what's coming out of all this reckoning, all these thought processes. Where does it lead us to? Also, emotionally, in the arts, will there be new art? You know, other artists. How will the art fairs look like? So, is there any vision? Something where you think? you could imagine or also just you would wish for? I mean, I think that we've always had art, artists in these times of, of difficulties and, and emotional um, challenges. I think artists have always responded. Um, I think that that is another great thing about this time, not just for non-artists, but for artists to have the time to be in their studio and be creating and have that as an outlet. Um, I just spoke to someone yesterday who's a friend who was in art school, no longer practices art. And during this entire time, she, we were FaceTiming and she showed me her apartment and it's filled with paintings mm -hmm. and it's been her way to, it's cathartic and it's a way to process what we're experiencing. Um, what does that look like as an art fair? I really think it's too soon for me to say, because I'm still processing this and watching how the art community is responding and, and evolving. The only thing that um, I think we personally as a fair, you know, have, have done, or not personally, but we as a fair have done, is to, um, is to create assistance in, in whatever ways we can. So whether that is our Armory Access Program that we created to help young galleries to have a, a broader digital audience, um, <clears throat> They, they don't have the resources um, necessarily to create a platform that a you know, bigger gallery would. So we immediately put that in place and they get 12,000 to 18,000 extra views from, from our people uh, a week, which is, which is great for them and can lead, to potential, can lead to potential sales. So we're very happy to have provided that. And then our, our talks programming. So whether it's behind closed doors, like our curatorial leadership summit, where at the fair, it's a day of programmed behind closed doors and then a, a talk that's also available to the public. But 75 curators from around the world come and participate in that. And there was a need. There were curators that reached out to me and, and the chair from last year, Jose Diaz from the Warhol and said, we have this great community and we're isolated right now. We feel alone and want, and this was before the protests happened. This was just mm -hmm. pandemic related. We would love to have a conversation about what the future looks like. So everyone's sort of grappling with that. And if we can provide a platform um, that's a safe space for those curators to have those conversations, um, which then led to a public conversation with Sally Talent of the Queens Museum, who was in the hardest hit part of New York, as far as the Corona Elmhurst Hospital was, was sort of the, the hardest hit. Um, and, and her entire community has been impacted. Uh, in conversation with Sahanya Rafael from M Plus, 
in Hong Kong that had opened, closed, was reopening. So in they, Asia being much further along this process than we are. And so trying to give people ideas about how people were, best practices that were being put in place and Sally sort of re-envisioning her museum as, as a help to the community. Um, whether it was providing programming online or distributing food. Um, so trying to rethink how your organization functions and those those conversations have been great. We just had a discussion about public art. And um, again, that was sort of came about because of the fact that everyone's at home and can't get out to see art, but you can always go see public art. And what mm -hmm. is the importance that that has? And then as, as things changed, as they do in our world, they're changing you know, every day, every week, things are, are different. Um, then that conversation also included the protests and, and how that, how public art is shaped by what's happening um, in our society. And so, and the importance that it has for messaging and, and um, who's creating it and who's commissioning it. And so we feel a responsibility to not just have discussions with the, you know, the the one percent of the art world um, that's experiencing this, but the the organizations that are struggling to keep their doors open, the galleries that you know don't know if they can keep their brick and mortar spaces, um, because New York has been incredibly impacted uh, okay. by this, and and I'm sure that not only will galleries close, but and some of them have, but artists will have to leave. Um, because the city is incredibly expensive as it is, and when you have no income, then it's much more challenging. Um, but bigger organizations not having any any uh, visitors, any revenue, and that the the galleries luckily uh, are now able to be open with with restrictions of how many people. I'm actually excited to get out to some galleries next week mm -hmm. to go to go check in and have those conversations in person and seat art, which I'm so looking forward to. Um, but the museums don't open until phase four here. So that could be August, September, we don't know. Um, so everyone is, is, is struggling in, with something, as I said, whether it's with health, whether it's with a job, whether it's, uh, you know, um, not having enough money to, to feed your family or childcare, mm -hmm. which has become such an issue for people, um, not being able to to send a child to camp or to have daycare or anything like that. So it's been, the people that I talk to are trying to make it work and trying to see the positive in it for the most part. But, um, but it's definitely a challenge. And I don't think, I think the unknown, the uncertainty is the hardest part. Because, it's we because don't know. that's, yeah, that's what yeah. we all feel. I think we don't, it's a waiting room. We don't know exactly so what, what we can do, what's going to happen. So it's hard to make plans. Yes, yes. And I think the, the listening to each other, the communication, that sense of, uh, I think there's been a lot of collaboration. I anticipate there will be more collaboration and community to support one another, to have open communication and really listen because we can learn from one another. And that's certainly what's happening in, uh, in the discussions about, about inequality um, is that that sense that let's have an open communication don't get defensive let's hear each other out and try and find ways to move forward move the needle forward so um, I think it's really important and and the fact that we have this time to do it 
is also valuable. And I That's hope we'll see some, true. Yeah, see very some true. changes. But did you talk to collectors which are the clients of your clients? <laughs> yes. So yes. What, what, how do they place themselves? Because usually they probably belong to the 1%. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that we ignore the 1%. I'm saying, yeah, we, we want to touch base with our galleries. We want to touch base with the collectors, but we also want, we don't want to, you know, a, a large part of the art world that's shaping things is is those nonprofit organizations Absolutely. Um, and the artists yeah. themselves. But we're, we're nowhere with, without the artists themselves. But the collectors, um, you know, I think are, have also been impacted in a way to, to have that pause. They don't have to be, feel the pressure to be at everything, mm -hmm. um, to go to, to go to this fair, that fair, go to gallery weekend, do this, do that. Um, and I think it, that's been nice because the things that they are seeing are, are more impactful in some ways, even though it's not in person, mm -hmm. um, because there's that, that, The, what I've heard from some of them is that there's that pressure to feel like, oh, well, if I don't see that show or if I don't get to this thing, then I'm missing out. It's, it's not a fear of missing out. It's just a feeling of missing out. And, and, um, and they don't feel that pressure now. It's okay. Well, I'm going to, the things that I'm really going to give my attention to, whether it's a discussion or an online viewing platform or an artist studio visit, which I think a lot of people are doing these sort of digital um, studio visits and people are really taking their time and paying attention to that. They don't have one eye on that and also, you know, checking their email, which, which we, we often are multitasking. And I think people have been able to be really focused in this time. Um, and people want to see art in person. So every collector I talk to is dying to see art in person. That's something that we all feel you can't, you can't miss that experience. The digital doesn't replace it, nor is anyone trying to have To, to make it a replacement for that, that in-person viewing. So that's why I think fairs are still incredibly important um, and, and serve a purpose when people will feel comfortable enough to go back in large groups, whether that's when a vaccine is developed or there's herd immunity. Um, and until that time, we just have to have, you know, digital compliments to it for people who don't feel comfortable. You know, and, and it may mean that fairs for a while are more regional. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, we can be international in scope, but still have a regional base. And we're incredibly lucky because the New York based, I would say the tri-state area um, collectors, as well as the, the American collectors are so supportive of the Armory show. So that's, that's great yeah. because um, they're just, the, the, they just support our fair. It, we always have, you know, international collectors coming as well. But I think we're in a, we're in kind of a unique position where we don't have to have people travel for our dealers to have a successful fair there. Most of them are coming to tap into that American client base. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I have a question you said for the young galleries, you have that special online um, mm -hmm. viewing room or however you call it. Is there a possibility as long as there is no physical fair as a gallery to apply to something like this? Or are you doing this for the galleries you're already working with? It's a great question. Right now we're doing it with not all of the galleries that did the 2020 fair, but just the present section, which is galleries that are in business uh, uh, 10 years and younger. Um, but what I would like to do, because there's been so much interest, is to open it up 
I mean, because we're doing a week at a time, so that eats up quite a bit. So we'll finish the present section. Every single presents gallery has uh, um, wanted to participate. So we're, I think, mid-September, we'll finish up with the presents. And we started on April 2nd, I believe, um, with this platform. And we've had a lot of interest from galleries from other sections of the fair who said, well, we want to participate. So we're keeping track. It's a first come, first serve. Um, everyone that's participated can, but um, it's something that I want to live past the shutdown because, you know, fairs are very important for seeing the art, seeing a lot of art at, at one time. And then that also that energy that a fair brings, the networking, um, you might run into someone, maybe a curator sees a sense of discovery, a curator sees an artist they're not familiar with, and then a show comes out of it. Um, so that element of it is incredibly important, but I, this process, this whole time has allowed me to think about how important the gallery shows are and how this started because I felt so terrible for all of the gallerists who had created, yourself included, who had created exhibitions that either closed or never opened mm. because of the shutdown. And so that's incredibly frustrating. And, and I want to have something year round that supports whether people can get to the galleries or it's just viewing it on our online platform um, supports the gallery program because that's an integral part of the whole fabric of the art world. Um, and so we will, we will not open it up to anybody, but we'll certainly open it up to our, our 2020 galleries. And then moving forward, I'm not sure what that will look like. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, that'll, that'll take us probably well into next year. Um, with the number of galleries that have been interested, which is which is great. I'm thrilled that it's that it's uh, having some benefits for the galleries that have participated. Yeah, because the interesting thing is, although the internet is international and you can see everything from everywhere, there are still kind of like the bases are still regional or local, or there is a physical base. And I feel like you have probably still another audience then probably uh, a fair in i don't know in mexico and germany has so probably other people would even look at the online experience yes i i hope so i and i think certainly that's what we're planning for the digital um element of the 2021 fair is that we don't want it to be something that replaces the physical fair but that it's that it's something different. It may have elements uh, for people who can't be at the fair or, but we also want people who are attending the fair to, to check out what we're doing um, in the digital realm. And, and again, I don't know what that exactly will look like at this point, because we are over a year out, um, but we're having conversations about what that can be. And we are talking to galleries and, and curators and collectors about um, what their, experiences are online and what the what the best um, elements of, of digital can be for them because ultimately it is about about the gallery's experience the sales that happen um, the collector's experience is it something that is you know that they that they want to um, return to and and that, that has been the case with the physical fair so how can the digital become something that also has the energy of the of the physical fair um, so we definitely want people who are both attending and not attending to have 
have access to that and hopefully they will utilize that element of it. Yeah, maybe in the end, it also comes down to technical possibilities. You know, so, so what, right. is, what is sort of like, what is sustainable? What can you create, which is not like uh, on a Hollywood budget? Um, <laughs> that's you know? the problem. That's the problem. <laughs> Everything is, yeah, Hollywood numbers. And that's not what our budget is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of like, you know, I mean, I, I think that's what we're all thinking about. Like, how, how can the digital give us a space which which gives us the same energy the same emotion like like the real thing i mean it's 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 never going to be possible in that way but it might at some point can be a good addition but i think it has a lot to do with technical possibilities and with budget and, and i think they're out there I don't think we need to reinvent the wheel. No, no. I think that we're, you know, as, as you know, the, the art industry is one of the last to sort of embrace technology. And people were starting to prior to the, the shutdown, for sure. There were galleries that were putting, putting digital platforms out and things. But, but I do think that there is existing technology. And as you said, it's not going to be in lieu of, but, but to create something that's a little less dry than just a JPEG that you're clicking, you know, that, that has some element of an in real life component um, without having to wear goggles and the whole, the mm. whole thing. So I do, I do think the technology is out there. I just think it's, um, it's a matter of maybe it's somebody who's not in the art world who can, and that's, sort of who we're having discussions with are people that aren't necessarily in the art world, but, uh, but that are developing really cool digital platforms. Mm. And maybe that combination is, is, I hope, a winning, winning combination to, to create something new with existing technology. Perhaps. No, absolutely. But I still think, and maybe that's the reason why the art world is probably so late in going online or going online in a, in a bigger way is that, it is this old fashioned thing, a physical human being standing in front of a physical piece of art and it has some physical impact. And, and I think this is what we're all craving. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's why I, I'm giddy about getting back into galleries next week because I, though I love the art in my personal collection, um, I'm anxious to be introduced to new artists that I might not know or see artists that I'm familiar with and see new works by them. So there is that, it's such a visceral experience, uh, art. And so it creates, yeah, emotions. And, and, and I think that's obviously much easier to do in person than, than online. Uh, do you think uh, additionally to sort of like, first of all, the educational, um, role an art fair can play, the commercial role an art fair has to play, the social role, all these roles an art fair can play. Do you think there is also a political role an art fair can or should play? You know, it's a really good question. All of those are incredibly important. You know, I'm a former educator, so the educational component is, in, is, is super important to me as well and plays a part in the commercial and, and the social. The political, you know, I think art fairs without taking a, a particular political stance by just agreeing to show the art that is made of the time, 
mm-hmm. um, is, is even a better way to do it without, you know, we, we had JR, a piece by JR uh, two years ago. Is it two years ago? Three years ago? Um, I think it was two years ago. And it was fantastic. It was out in front of uh, the piers on the exterior of the fair. And it was Ellis, photographs of Ellis Island immigrants with the faces superimposed of Syrian refugees. Mm-hmm. And that to me was a political piece, but it was not we weren't, the fair itself wasn't making a statement. We were simply sharing a piece that was made of the time, made, yes. made as an experience, as JR's experience in this moment. And what I loved about it was that people who didn't know what the Armory Show was uh, would be driving down the West Side Highway and be like, God, and it, you know, it was very large, it was JR's, as J, all of JR's pieces are. And hopefully would then go look it up and learn more about it and, and, and have some interaction with it on some level. And then of course, people who were coming to the fair, um, Jeffrey Deitch had a JR booth that year. So it was, so I guess it was three years ago and, um, and could learn a lot more information about it as well. So it, I think to me, presenting the art that is, that is being made at a certain time that may have no political aspect that may have a lot of political um, intention, that's our, that's our responsibility. It's not our responsibility as a fair, as a commercial entity um, to, to take a political stance, mm-hmm. um, but that we are being, we are showcasing art that's representative of, of the time and that speaks for itself. And people, I also don't ever want to be, you know, telling people how they should feel about a certain piece. Mm. I think that art is such a personal thing. And so there's obviously the artist's intent, but then there's also um, that very special moment before you read about a piece or you may know who it is by right away or you may not, that you're having an interaction with it. And, And that interaction then becomes deeper or richer if you want to go further. Um, and so uh, that special moment, I think, is, is uh, again, is our responsibility. Um, and working with-, um, with your new location, is there also, will you also do something with um, sculpture or installation in public space? Yeah, so we, um, to be determined right now what that would look like, but we are in conversation with um, some organizations. We have in the past done projects. Um, last year we did an amazing project with Times Square Art um, and in conjunction with the Brooklyn Museum, Kavi Gupta Gallery and Roberts Projects. Um, and I feel like I'm forgetting somebody else that was involved. Anyway, Jeffrey Gibson had, um, he was, there's a program called Midnight Moment in New York City where every month Times Square Arts does a commission of a video work by an artist that's selected. And, uh, and the moments before midnight on the majority of the screens in Times Square, the video is projected. And Jeffrey Gibson's was um, the month of March. And we did, uh, we organized a one night performance with the dancer who is projected on the video. Um, so in person. And so public art, that was wonderful because then you're engaging people. We had obviously some VIPs that were able to come 
um, the galleries were able to invite people, but then the public who was in Times Square is seeing this amazing performance. Um, and again, can either engage with it mm -hmm. or can just be like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what's happening there, but can, can learn about it on a deeper level. And then to see this woman who's dancing in front of you appear larger than life on all these screens was remarkable. So sculpture, performance, public art, I think um, to me being in a city like New York, we, we are silly if we don't support the organizations that are doing some of the, these things and, and, have, and have the fair almost spill out into the city in some ways um, to share it because there might be people who, again, don't know what the Armory Show is and don't come, um, but they're getting to still experience some of the fantastic work created by artists. Yeah, also, um, as we can see right now, that public sculpture or public uh, art uh, does have um, quite a symbolic impact also. I mean, it really means something. Yes, yes. And I don't think that will, ch I, I hope that that won't change. I think, um, I think more people, I hope more people are engaging with public art and, and open to ideas of what that can mean. It doesn't just have to be a sculpture plopped down in a park, but that no, it can no, exactly. be, yeah, can be much more. Can you tell me a little bit more about the new location? Sure. So uh, we're very excited about the Javits. So the Javits Center, and fun fact, the Armory Show, as we all know, started, or I hope everyone knows listening, the Armory Show started in the Gramercy Park Hotel. Uh, back in the early 90s, and then moved to the Lexington Avenue Armory for a few years. And then before it went to the piers, a lot of people don't know this, it was at the Javits for one year. Oh, okay. um, so <clears throat> it's almost a return in some ways. It was in a tent that was on the side of the Javits. And so the Javits is undergoing um, an expansion. And um, it's at one point, you know, We've, it's funny because the piers used to be people would say, oh, you're so far away and you're, you know, it's difficult to get to. But now that whole area, the whole west side has been transformed and the seven train goes right to Hudson Yards. We have Hudson Yards right by the High Line that takes you right down to Chelsea. So what is, uh, the west side has become a very easily accessible and really sort of um, active active area so full of full of lots of opportunities for um you know pu public spaces and also restaurants and yeah it's it's totally changed so the fact that we are going to be in a expanded venue uh that's easy to get to from public transportation and is close to a lot of amazing other places is something that we're really excited about um, and to switch to the September dates is a great way for us to the project I was talking about before with Jeffrey Gibson, having a project outside in March is a little bit iffier than hopefully than in September when the weather's really nice. It's a great time for people to come to the city and, and not just be at the fair for all four days of the fair, but to get out and see the shows in the, in the galleries, get to the museums, go to a play if they want to. Um, so to really take advantage of all that the city has to offer culturally, and, and we are hoping to be sort of the kickoff of that fall art season. No, the great thing uh, at the Armory was always that you could go there several times, that it's sort of like easy to access, 
and uh, that you can be in the city and they go to the fair and then you do something in the city, you go back to the fair. So probably this will be even enhanced in the future through the new location then. That is, that is the hope. And, and that has been a really great thing about our fair is that we're not a one day fair. It's not just the VIP day that our gallerists always, you know, some of them say, I can't believe I had my best day on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's really people, some of our biggest collectors don't come until Sunday or come, you know, and we, we have reacted to that over the past two years. We've, because Saturday and Sunday often are very busy at the fair and hopefully that will will be the case in September of 2021, um, that we've instituted VIP hours in the morning so that collectors who, you know, want to have a little bit of space in viewing can, can do that. Um, because yeah, people come, come every day, which is really a wonderful thing. Do you expect uh, something just going back to normal or do you think there will be a new normal? I think there will be a new normal. I, I just can't, it, you know, especially, I think all over the place, but I think especially in New York because of the density of, of the city um, and to have a city like New York, of course, you, you never bet against New York. New York has come back from 9-11. New York has come back from Hurricane Sandy. Um, but, but I think having a city like New York shut down and that was probably the most impactful thing for me is to, I love the energy of New York. I thrive on the energy of New York and to walk my dog and it's, I could, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't see, but a handful of other people that, that no one was on the roads in those early days of, of the shutdown. It, it, it was very disconcerting. Um, so I think people might be initially, again, until a vaccine comes, you know, they'll be a little bit more hesitant to um, take the subway or convene, you know, go to Broadway, which is opening up, I think, in September. That's what I heard. But I also have to say that right now we've got outside, restaurants can have um, spots outside for people. And every restaurant I walk by in the evening is packed full of people. So I think people have different reactions to it. Some people are much have a have a much uh, a different level of comfort than others. But um, but I do think that there. I, I don't know how we go back to normal, and I'm not sure that we should. Mm -hmm. I don't like the word should, but I don't. I I hope that we learn lessons that make the new normal better. If, and and in, in what way? Well, I hope that we um, don't just rush back to the busyness of before and, and not the, the time that we took to reflect, I hope that we carry some of that with us. So we, we make time for the people that we are interacting with. We, we, um, we don't have to see everything, but the things that we see, we really engage with. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I'm hopeful that, that some of that carries over. Um, but I, I don't know how we could go back to normal after this experience. Because the other thing is it wasn't, as I'm, I'm talking just about New York, but this was a global thing. This wasn't in, a part of the earth that wasn't impacted. No, it's a hum, human, a full humanity experience. And we've never experienced that before. 
at, at least in my lifetime. I've never experienced something that touched every, obviously things like the environment do, but uh, the environmental crisis and things like that. But this was such a going from everything being okay to everything having to shut down, almost like a light switch in some cases. And, and for everyone having this shared human experience of being at home, being confined, um, and, and also lacking an, a, a human intimacy. You know, I haven't seen my parents since this all happened. Um, and you aren't able to, you know, shake hands, hug. That's the other thing, the, the new normal. I don't think people are going to be as, you know, as um, eager to shake someone's hand or give them a hug. How do you greet them? I know at the armory, we were doing a lot of foot tapping and elbow tapping. Or you could the namaste. <laughs> oh, you namaste. I actually loved the namaste. I love the namaste, yeah. Yeah, some people did do that. And that's such a respectful way to do it. Yeah. But, you know, that sense of human touch that I know people that are in the medical industry who couldn't interact with their children for a hundred days or whatever it was. And you hear stories about that as well, that they sent their children to live with their grandparents or whatever because they feared getting them sick. And can you imagine being a child for a hundred days and, and not being able to get, have, have any contact with a parent? That's, and it happens, obviously. I think about other situations where that has happened. Um, but to have that globally is, is pretty, it's a massive shift, and and I hope that um, I hope that we're able to move forward and recover from it, um, and and learn something and see the glass glass half full and not see see it as just the negative. Though, when hundreds of thousands of people's lives are lost, that's also something to contemplate. Um, so the people who are directly impacted by it are going to view it also very differently. So it's, 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 it's heavy. It's, it's definitely a heavy time. Yes, but maybe the one thing is sort of like the little thing what we can do is like perhaps be a little bit more kind to each other and, and listen better to the other. Yes. And I think, you know, I talked about collaboration and community. I think the other C that's really important is compassion. I, I see it in people who are wearing masks you know, in, in, cause it's, it's not, as we all know, the wearing mask isn't protecting yourself. It's protecting someone else. Exactly. So having that, that sense of that, that selflessness that you're not, this isn't about you. You're going to be, Oh, I'm sorry. You're uncomfortable for, you know, however long you're outside that you have the mask on, but this isn't about you. This is protecting, you know, someone's grandfather, or this is protecting that frontline worker who has to be taking care of COVID patients hours and hours a day. Um, and so, yes, I hope that there will be more compassion as a result. The time I hope that people have taken for themselves, I hope they give that time to others um, as we enter this new normal. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Nicole. Thank you, um, Daniela. Taking your time and sharing your thoughts with me. Really, really a, a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much and bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Voices on Art, the Fan Horn Gallery podcast hosted by Daniela Steinfeld. Stay tuned and connect.